You're listening to The Trainumentary. On this episode, we visit with writer Ashley Kahn. The four parts of uh, A Love Supreme are structured in such a way that it, it, it reveals a couple of things about John Coltrane. He certainly was very aware of classical music and the way that construction of classical concertos and longer pieces are put together. He was certainly... Uh, reaching for the idea of longer extended works. He talked about it in interviews in the early 60s. And he did have a sort of tug of war a bit with his record label, who had had success, Impulse Records. Impulse Records had had success with the albums he had done, doing ballads, doing um, you know his collaboration with the vocalist Johnny Hartman, with Duke Ellington on piano. That was another great album. And they wanted to sort of, you know, keep him in the studio recording these radio-friendly cuts, you know, that were no more than five, six minutes long. And what he was hearing was uh, music that extended for the whole side of an album. And Love Supreme, if you notice that there's this huge gap between the album that came before called Crescent, which includes some pretty extended works like the drum song, like the title track, you know. And and when A Love Supreme is recorded, there's a long six-month, seven-month period, which is very unlike John Coltrane to be out of the studio that long. But that was 1964. He was pushing and pushing and pushing, and I think that his producer, Bob Thiel, finally relented at least that's the way the evidence, you know, points. That um, he goes, okay, we'll we'll do this uh, this suite that you want to record, and that's how Love Supreme came together. Um, the first part of the suite, actually, if you just look at the titles of the suite, you know that we're what what he's referencing is almost like a, a religious worship. I mean, acknowledgement, resolution, pursuance, and psalm. Uh, psalm itself, of course, you know, has that biblical reference within it the idea that the the acknowledgement opens up with what sounds like a benediction it's a welcoming it's very warm it's it's in a very unlikely key in in jazz e and um you know it's like uh like alice coltrane described it's like the doors are opening and the service is beginning if you look at the first track acknowledgement and the last track psalm you also see that the territory is very non-jazz-like. It's not like, you know, you have the statement of a theme, then you have the solos that follow the sort of harmony that's been defined by the theme, etc. I mean, that's standard jazz practice. That's more like resolution and pursuance. Um, Acknowledgement is structured in a very strange way, and it goes through some very strange movements, uh, events that it offers the uh, listener once the you know the uh, benediction uh, is over you have this statement of this four note theme that later will become the chant a love supreme that John Coltrane will offer but just before the chant he actually plays this sort of sonic signature in a series of keys where he just bounces between keys in a way that it's saying something you know what what is it about the idea that you have to play in all keys normally you stick to one key or in bebop you bounce between different you know harmonies etc but there's definitely a statement being made and it ties directly into his whole idea of you know the universality of his message the idea that all people all gods 
all keys, all tonal centers are equal. And that sort of universalist stance is quite different from the very dedicated religious people who are, you know, connected to one church or one way of worship. When you get to the chant, I mean, that's a direct Eastern influence right there. The idea of the chant, the power of the chant, the power of the human voice. For me, it's, it's, it's almost like this incredible disrobing, you know, before the divine. The idea that um, he's going to take away the one thing that he is best at, that he is most crafted at, and that is his saxophone. And he's going to put his saxophone down and in a way just stand naked right there and allow his voice to do what he's allowed his, what he's leaned on his music to do for years and that is to praise God of course he will repeat this later on some other recordings but this really is a, a breakthrough because it's the first time he does that and then there's the um the sort of tying together of one piece with another, the sort of suture, if you will, where um, acknowledgement was recorded and they allowed Jimmy Garrison on bass to sort of bring it to an end. But you can see how it picks up in the same key at the beginning of Resolution. And Resolution, as I said before, is like this much more familiar territory to the jazz listener. It swings. It's in 4-4. It has a really hip theme, and it really explodes. I mean, the sort of slow fuse that uh, Jimmy Garrison lights at the very beginning, and then it explodes as uh, Coltrane um, enters in with the... uh, the recognizable theme, one of the most recognizable musical signatures, actually, of the whole album. Um, Resolution has, like, been covered by umpteen number of, of jazz artists. You sort of get the feeling of what the Coltrane Quartet really was about. They were drama. They were, like, four parts of the same mind. I mean, the telepathy that would happen between them without any instruction, without any rehearsal or practice, is unbelievable. I mean, you talk to McCoy Tyner when I interviewed Elvin Jones before he passed. Time and again, they would say, you know, we only rehearse about two or three times in four years. Pretty incredible. And so the idea of setting things up, knowing that Coltrane was going to come in and just blast the Roma part, you hear that a couple of times throughout the whole album. The sort of handoff from one solo to another. The setup, if you will, from McCoy Tyner's solo to John Coltrane's solo in Pursuance, for instance, is a classic example of that, you know, handing over the baton to the master. You know, McCoy is great at setting things in place so that someone's coming, someone's coming, and boom, here's John Coltrane. Finally, we get to psalm, and psalm is, as they say in the music world, in rubato. 
uh, which means it finds its own rhythm. There's not a regular pulse to it. There's a sort of pulsation to it. Basically, what John Coltrane is doing is reading the words to his poem, A Love Supreme, through his saxophone. So he's using the cadence of speech, as opposed to what he did at the very beginning, which was just using speech. Now he's using the saxophone to use the rhythms and the cadence of speech to deliver his most heartfelt poem to the Almighty. The feel, the effect that it has, it's almost like you're peeking in on someone's private prayer session, and it's meant to feel that way. There's um, sheet music, six pages worth, that John Coltrane wrote out for A Love Supreme. On those pages, you can see that he very deliberately mapped out a psalm to be in that sort of moody, almost interior-looking, you know, uh, monologue. I mean, that, that type of feel. He actually writes out, should have the same feel as Alabama, referring to a tune that he recorded in 1963, which was very dirge-like. It was actually inspired by the events in Alabama around that time when four uh, school children died in a fire tragically. It was also based on words. It was based on the Martin Luther King speech. The speech has never really been found, but according to McCoy Tyner, he goes, yeah, he was playing his saxophone reading the words Martin Luther King. So it's the same idea. It's the same sort of device that he's leaning on for psalm. And then it ends. It ends actually with this little overdub. John Coltrane came back the next day, and he had the quartet uh, overdub. It was no more than about five or ten seconds, but you can hear just for a moment uh, two quartets going at it together and he plays a note that actually sounds more like he's playing an alto saxophone but it's in the altissimo register of the uh, tenor sax and that is it and that that's the uh, sort of punctuation at the end of his service For more information on the program, visit trainumentary.blogspot.com.